Welcome to Unashamed Unafraid, a show unashamed about sexual addiction recovery and unafraid of coming into Christ for healing. Where we talk about real recovery stories, answer anonymous questions with experts, and share resources that actually work. I'm your host, Steve. And I'm your co-host, James. And we are Unashamed Unafraid. Well, this is a fun group. Um, So we have in here with us the entire Unashamed Unafraid crew and Christy, who's been a frequent guest. Hello. How are you, Christy? Thanks for being here. Doing great. Happy to be here. Thanks. Um, I don't feel like I need to introduce everyone else. Our Hope of Hope, Chris. I'm here. Radio Party. Assistant to the regional manager, James. Hey, guys. (laughs) (laughs) CT. Yep. I'm here. Jason. I'm here. I'm ready. All right. He's ready. Okay. So um, I'm going to apologize for not getting back to some of these questions sooner. Um, we uh, we changed who was getting which emails, and um, we just kind of were slow on a couple of these. So the couple of you who are like, oh, I remember when I had that question like three months ago, we apologize. So hopefully it's still relevant and helpful and know that your question helps a ton of other people. So um, shout out to everyone who submitted these questions. Am I wrong? Not at all. It's awesome that they they, they had the courage and that they even reached out because a lot of people still don't reach out. And we have that just a, on the very first page of our um, podcast webpage, any part of our webpage, you can see it at the top right-hand side. It says anonymous, submit anonymous questions. So people need to do that more. And I mean, I, I, uh, um, fail to reach out quite a bit when I have a problem and I have you guys to reach out to yet. I still find myself, you know, hesitant to reach out. It's hard to do. We commend your courage and you're blessing a ton of people's lives. Amen. Amen. So first question, CT, I'm going to give this one to you. Read our first one. Hey, fellas. I met some of you at the boot camp recently, and I appreciate your willingness to help me along the way. I made some progress at the retreat in learning how God sees me. I'm still working on how to hear his voice in my heart. I recently read a bit about prayer, and what I learned is that when we remember who we are to God— and our relationship with him, uh, prayer becomes an instinct and natural. The problems we face with prayer is when we forget who we are to God. I naturally, or I have forgotten this and am learning as I go. I pray regularly. It's part of my daily necessities. My question is, have any of you guys experienced a forgetfulness of who you are to God? And have you figured out who your true self is? If you have, uh, what tools, things, whatever, did you do to find your true self once again? And what are you continuing to do to learn more about what God's plan is for you? You read it. You answer it. (laughs) Well, (laughs) I've been doing this for quite a while. Um, I, I started recovery back in 2009, so it's been 10 years. And that first you know, that first year I was gung ho, and I I went to ARP, the twelve step uh, program uh, that the LDS Church has, and around uh, month eleven I slipped up, and I I went back into the addiction pretty hard, and 
I forgot who I was to uh, my Heavenly Father for quite a while. And quite honestly, I really didn't know who I was until I actually went to boot camp and read Wild at Heart. And another book that I loved that really changed who God was for me was The Shack. Um, those two books combined just really opened my eyes to who God really is. So give me the why. In one sentence, give me the why. Why did that stuff change? Because they made me think outside of what I had been taught. Mm, I like that. Well said. The one comment I want to make is um, just all of his stuff in here, right? You know, I'm still working on how to hear his voice. Um, you know, I have forgotten this and I'm learning as I go. Every single one of his statements, I wanted to interrupt you reading it and be like, haven't we all? And aren't we all? So the one thing I want to say to this questioner is, dude, you are no less than anyone else. This this is a big question you're asking, lifetime growth type stuff. Like, we're all working on this. So I I hope as you ask these questions, you realize, give yourself some self-compassion and credit to even have the courage to ask yourself this question and ask us out loud. To me, that was a big thing that stood out to me. On that one, I, I want to take the the end of it there. It says, "What are you continuing to do to learn more about what God's plan is for you?" Um, one of the books that I read is called "Following the Light of Christ into His Presence." It's by uh, John Pontius. Uh, highly recommended. It. It's basically answering that question. Um, but what I've done is is you have to listen for the little things. Listen for the times when God is speaking to you, and it's easy to brush them aside. But when we don't and we follow them, He gives us more. And so continuing to follow those little things, continuing to listen to him, is when he really starts unfolding his plan in front of your eyes. Mm-hmm. One of the questions he asked is, is have you figured out what your, or who your true self is? And if so, what tools or whatever did you use to, um, to find your true self once again? Um, so for me, I totally found, figured out who I was by going to the boot camp and just understanding that you know what? I'm a son of God no matter what I do in my life. And he loves me because he loves me, right? And so, but with that, um, part of what keeps me understanding his love for me is just continually looking for how God speaks to me, whether it's through an amazing sunset or whether it's through the wildlife that he presents to me um, right after I get done praying or whatever the case may be. I'm paying attention more to look for signs that God has giving me, you know, his love notes that he says, hey, son, I love you. So, and on the surface, that stuff just sounds like hippie crap. To it me, does. To me, if you want me to be honest, it's like, it's like yeah. I, ha- I do this walk with God, and it's like, because I remember being early on, I had zero personal relationship with God. I did God for everyone else. I did God in my church. Zero, like, way, probably not zero, because God loves me and his grace, but, you know, very low personal relationship. So, for me, it, like, it's not nature and sunsets for me. But as I have said on here many times as a rapper host, like I listen to a lot of rap music and a lot of music that most people are like, no, I don't really find God in that. But I'm like, dude, I'm fine. I'm like crying in my car listening to this Christian rap song and it's a sunset for you, right? And so I think it, what is personal to you might sound dumb to everyone else, but that's why it's personal. It doesn't matter, right? And if you don't know how God speaks to you, ask him, say, God, how do you speak to me? How do you speak to my heart? So you got to understand and then listen for that and like watch for that. And it might be hippie that. crap, by the way. 
he might say, I'm going to speak to you through this sunset. And you might be like, that's weird. But then you're going to feel the truth in there, right? Or he might present somebody in your life that you need in your life at that time that will help change your life or change the things that you're doing or whatever. I just want to be clear. We're not avoiding identity. Maybe James and Christy can speak to some specific tools. We're not avoiding telling you specific tools. I think what we're trying to say is it's different for everyone. Right. But you're going to feel a closeness and don't be afraid of that. James? Yeah, so for me, um, one of the most helpful things around this whole thing around God was recognizing that, first of all, that I had some false beliefs about who God was, what his character and nature truly was like. Um, So prior to, you know, boot camp and some other things, some other study, you know, my general overall feeling was that God did not love me. I didn't. I thought that God was a loving being that loved everybody, but kind of at a distance, so to speak. So, for instance, you know, I might have thought that God was kind of this tyrant demanding obedience, or he was a policeman always on watch for my my the least of my missteps, or that God is this judge who's always ready to bring down upon me this irrevocable verdict of guilty. Right. And that was who I thought God was. And it wasn't until I started looking for the true character and nature of God that that's where I started to, the more I started to understand who God was, the more I could accept that I was his son and that I was loved by him. I started to discover God's true character and nature. And so he talks about how prayer becoming instinctual. We have to believe that God is a loving God and a loving being, and we have to understand God's true nature. Otherwise, I don't want to approach the God that that I previously thought. He was ready to judge me and condemn me at every moment. Yeah. And so for me, it's finding out and learning what God's true character and nature is. And so that was a quest of all kinds of things. I had to try all kinds of new things. So I did the hippie stuff and the walking in the woods and the rapper music and the Christian music and study, looking for the evidence in the scriptures of, wait, what is God's character really like? What do the scriptures say about God's feelings toward me? And what, what do all those things mean? It, and so it's trying a lot of new things and finding out what touches my soul. I think we talk about God as this perfect person, whole person, right? Absolute person. He then becomes not a person. He becomes a thing. And there's a Christian author. I can't find the name. We'll try and stop the book on here. But my buddy Eric talks about it all the time that we have an I-it relationship instead of an I-thou relationship, meaning we see God as a thing instead of a person. And if it's a thing that is cold, not personable, you ain't going to have any of these sunset experiences Chris is having or the journey you went on, James. So that's probably one other thing I'd put out there is um, you ha- he's a person. So just like I have a relationship with Kayla or I have a relationship with you guys here, like it's it's like that. Like he's a person, it's personable. You know, that's where I would go. Go uh, uh, go read Fathered by God. Yeah. Fathered by God, <laughs> good one. Another, another thing about, you know, how he's asked, have you figured out your true self and how do we do that? Uh, for me... Uh, figuring out who my true self is, it, it actually changes all the time, um, depending on what he wants me to do. And so one day it could be that 
you know, I need to go to work. I need to I need to be home with my family and and fall into that, you know, fighting for their hearts and and then other days it's I'm fighting for my brother's hearts and I'm fighting for uh everybody else's heart including mine every single day. But uh you know, it just could change every every time you make progress, you could change who you really are by losing who you are. Like he says in the scriptures, those who lose themselves in my work will actually find who they truly are. Yeah, your identity is going to grow and change. Totally. Um, so, you know, hopefully that helps. We're going to move to question two here. Um, James and Christy are arguing about who's going to read question two and who's going to read question three. Because they, uh, they, they both, uh, it seems, well, one is obviously from a spouse. One, I think they both from a spouse. But so we're going to give Christy some weight on obviously these that come from the spouse. And the one thing I also want to put on here as an asterisk is we love getting questions from women and the perspective they have. And we totally acknowledge the pain and the journey that they've been through. We also want to acknowledge that predominantly we hear our men, Christy can speak from this perspective why we have her here answering these questions with us, but we, we're giving you one perspective from one side of the fence. So we want to asterisk our answer with, this is from men in recovery, how they might approach this. Christy can approach it from the other side. I just, we always have backroom discussions that we don't ever want women to feel like we know what it's like or how, because we don't, we just don't, but we have some experience and have heard a lot of people. And so we want to share that. So we'll see who's reading question number two, drum roll. That'll be me. So the you just question, picked that one because it was shorter. Yes, I did. <laughs> um, so the question is, why can't an addict stop? Before my husband admitted to his sexual addiction, every time that he would get caught, he would feel sorry, cry, feel remorse, confess, repent, and simply promise to stay away from it. But time after time, it was the same story. He knew he was wrecking our marriage. Why couldn't he just stop? Also something that we've all dealt with. And, and I want to acknowledge loving an addict's the worst. Like, loving an addict is a very... Jason's over, like, nodding his head like a very hard. Head. It's very hard. Now, although I don't have a spouse that is an addict, right, has sexual addiction, I love other sexual addicts, and sometimes they're frustrating to love. Right. So that part, yeah. I can say on that level, I get it. And it is. It's frustrating. It's like, you don't want to do it. You say you don't want to do it. You know you don't want to do it. You've shown you don't want to do it. And then you're doing it again and lying about it. Like, this is so dumb. For so the fourth and fifth and sixth and seventh time, yeah. For the, yeah, for the year after year, would acknowledge that. But, all right, I've, it's, it's up to the group. Someone answer this one. Why can't an addict stop? One, I, I just don't think that they're making the choice. It comes down to a choice when it... When the temptation comes up, they have a choice. They can, they can either reach out or they act out. And it comes down to that, that point that they're like, they know exactly what's going on with their, their feelings. They can feel it come on. It's a physical feeling and it's an emotional feeling. They can feel it come on. And at that point right there, they can have a choice of doing something different and breaking the addiction cycle. Because that's part of what they do is they just go into their rituals and then they act out and then they feel the shame and then they go back to the same thing again. And so when they're actually having that temptation come on, 
they got to do something different and make that choice to to reach out and do something different. And sometimes it's reaching out to God, but sometimes just reaching out to God for me isn't enough. It's reaching out to other men and then, um, you know, sometimes just leaving a message for them or uh, sending them a text. It's doing something different than I've done in the past. Mm-hmm. And, and I think maybe to help paint the picture to understand, and then CT's got something, is I had this conversation with my father-in-law once after a whole another round of MacDown. He's like, I just sincerely don't get it. Like, with your marriage on the line, everything, I'm like, why can't you just stop? And he always makes this comment in jest because he loves chocolate. And he's like, if I was told I couldn't eat chocolate anymore, you might as well just get the gun, meaning I would die if I couldn't eat chocolate. I was like, okay, so you know your whole thing with chocolate? Imagine if I told you tomorrow that if you eat chocolate, you will lose your membership in your church and your wife will be mad and everyone will disconnect from you. It'll be this whole bad thing. Like, do you, do you think that then you could just stop now that there's consequences to it? And he was like, uh, and he kind of got it. So what I would say is, and not that it's all comparable, but we all do things against our value system that we know are wrong, but yet we continue to do them. So addiction is just a large scale of that. So to our question submitter, I would say whether it's, you know, that you want to work out more, or you want to work more hours, or you want to do more X, I, I can pose the same question in that context of, it's against your value system, so stop doing it. But yet you keep doing it because it's some of the identity stuff and that's harder, but I'd add that in there. CT? Yeah. Um, one thing that I did want to add was that uh, when you're you know, going through that addiction cycle and you keep doing the same things over and over again, but expect a, a different result, isn't that the definition of chaos or uh, of insanity? And so if you... Are, are saying, I'm going to read my scriptures better. I'm going to pray better. I'm going to do all these things. What I found, what really worked for me was that as soon as I realized that Heavenly Father loved me for who I am outside of the addiction, He looked at me from totally a, this is my son. I love him no matter what. And it, nothing that I could do would change that perspective, it made me want to connect to him. And when I started focusing on connection more than the addiction, that's when the addiction started to not have as big of a hold in my life. Yeah. So I think that there's two things here. One, to kind of piggyback on what both Chris and CT were saying, is that um, something that was brought up in in an ARP ARP meeting recently, a 12-step meeting, was um, the addiction is not the problem. The problems are what cause the addiction. And so the choice yep. that Chris was talking about is the choice to address those problems instead of trying to stop your addiction. Because stopping your addiction is not the answer. It's addressing the problems that are causing the addiction. Secondly, I want to say that it, in in all compassion and in all love, because, again, it's not easy loving a an addict, but oh, no. I feel like this, is, this question... Um, Maybe we can give a little bit of compassion and, and uh, love toward the asker as well, just understanding that it sucks for you being part of this this marriage where he's not making that choice, but that's not your fault. And you need to know that right. this is not Ooh. your thing. Amen. This is not your addiction. Totally. It's not up to you to make him stop. And you changing your behavior isn't going to fix right. his addiction. But you need to go find healing Whatever for you. Whatever that may be. You need yeah. to go find healing and, and recovery for you. 
and then he'll make his own decisions. And you can and you can be happy whether he changes or not. It may change your relationship to him, whether that's and it you may stay not. divorced or get married, or it may not, right? right. You, you yeah, that empowerment. Love that. So this kind of dovetails right into our third question. So Christy, you lost the coin toss. You have to read the longer one. <laughs> okay. My husband and I have been married for 10 years this summer. Shortly after our ninth anniversary, I found out that my husband has a sexual addiction and has secretly acted out our entire marriage. While his main issue was porn and masturbation for the majority of our marriage, but his behavior started getting worse and accelerating shortly before I found out. When I discovered what was going on, we started counseling and have been open with our families and pastor about it all. We are about 10 months out from when I found out and my husband swears that I know everything and that he hasn't acted out once since I found out about the addiction. After lots of reading and listening to the podcast, I am really struggling with believing that this could be the case. Is it possible or realistic to believe that an addict could go cold turkey and completely stop acting out and that he has fully disclosed to me? If not, what is the best way for me to approach him to get the truth? I have asked and shared my fears that there is more and that he isn't being truthful about continually acting out, but he always denies it. At this point, I sincerely just don't want any more lies and don't know how to trust that he hasn't just gotten better at hiding. I am willing to work towards restoration, but I can't bear more betrayal and discoveries. If Kayla were here, she'd be like, that lady knows my life. (laughs) So I get that. Christy? Oh, there's a lot... There's a lot going on here that, you know, how do I trust again? That's one of when James and I go and speak to um, Lifestar groups, that is 100% one of the most common questions that we get asked is how do I trust him again? And our answers vary. And what I usually say is it's it just, it takes time. It's a journey of um, a combination of him being open with you and you feeling that and feeling the truth of that. And it is also the combination of you personally getting your own healing around the addiction and staying. And those don't have to be on the same timeline. No. I feel like couples get frustrated with each other because they're like, we should be on the same timeline and just they're not. Yeah. I mean, one or the other will be at a different stage or, or whatever. And that's just the way it is. But, um, so for her continuing to stay in the fight, so to speak, um, continuing to wrestle with these hard principles of recovery and working, um, working the self-care and the, the daily. I don't know if you've, I don't know if our questioner has heard about dailies, but things that you do for your own soul and your own self to feed um, your soul so that you are in a good place and you know, continuing your relationship with God so that you maybe can pray to Him and and maybe He will answer you. And and if you feel like something is off, it there I want to say there probably it probably is, but but that's not necessarily always the case either. I mean, I've I've had times where I felt like something was off and it genuinely wasn't. You know, but many times. My, I feel like ninety five percent of the time it yeah, is true. I I agree with that. Yeah, you can't. It's hard to be like a hundred percent absolute. Mo- about anything, most but. of the time, my intuition is correct, and I feel like that is the case with most wives. Well, and I feel like with this question, it's different if it's in the moment 
because Kayla's been triggered in the moment. And she's like, right now, I don't trust you. This feels so unreal. Right. And then a day later, she's like, I just really triggered by X. I think I know where we're at. Right. That's different than feeling week after week, month after month. Something is I not right. Trust. So those yeah. are two different experiences. You're and right. It sounds like that's what this. The other thing I, I, I'm reading between the lines here. Um, and then I want Chris to see. Chris has a really good story around this, I think, of how she can kind of create the safety to ask. Um, is I just want to make sure that there isn't codependency in here. So I think this question asker needs to say, is my mood or is my um, me being okay based on my husband's behavior and his recovery? Is my relationship with God is my status and my identity, is my worth, is my happiness contingent on whether or not he fill in whatever blank you want? Mm-hmm. If that's the real, that's codependency and that's, you can't be there. So, you know, read between the lines there. Just make sure that and, might be a And if you worth are asking. there, go seek help. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah. I, no, totally. But just because if you're, if you're always on that codependency track, it's always going to be a disappointment. Right. Which, he's never, he's never going to do recovery in the right way in which you'll finally feel balanced. You could, because you can't be balanced being codependent. You got to be balanced on your own, whether you're, or the other person. But I want Chris for, to you share how Autumn finally kind of approached you with that dialogue and how she kind of created that safety for you. And it was the right way. You know, the story I'm talking about. Yep. yep. I, th- I was actually going to bring it up if you didn't. So that's perfect. Um, yeah. So, so Autumn like knew something was going on with me and she's like, she just came to me one day and she's like, Chris, look, I know that there's more to it than what you're saying. I know that you're still acting out. I don't know what it is, but I just have a feeling. I know that something's going on. Whatever it is, I can handle it. I can, you know, just tell me what it is. If you have something else to tell me and you're not ready, then just tell me, hey, I have more to tell you. I'm just not ready to tell you yet. And I was like, oh, yeah, you know, um, you know, I started feeling a little safe. So I'm like, yeah, I, I, I was still drinking. And, and she's like, no, there's more to it than that. And then I got all scared and nervous. And I'm like, you know what? We have an appointment with Todd on Tuesday, and I do have more to tell you. But Todd's I'm not the gonna, therapist. Yeah, um, from Lifestar. And so so I was like, you know, I've, we've got an appointment on, on Tuesday, and I will tell you then. I'll talk to you about it then. So she created that safety for me to feel like, you know what? I can go and talk to her about this stuff. And I just went and talked to her and laid everything out. Yeah, So, and I think you can even be specific in that language, right? And Chris, you can chime back into it, you know, say, hey, you know, I don't know if anything else is going on, but if you are having extramarital affairs or if you are looking at porn again or if even name what you might be afraid of. Right. Yeah. um, I want you to know I would hold space for that. And then you can still have boundaries. I can hold space for that. I may end up divorcing you, but I can hold space for that. Right. So you can do that with boundaries. But yeah, I think how she just asked that you can just say, yes, there's more and leave it at that. Because I think the, it's hard to be honest. It's hard to gear up to be honest. And I think it's hard for men. I, I've felt this where it's like, I start to be honest. And it's like, well, then you have to tell me everything. And I'm like, I feel like I can barely go an inch. And I feel like if I go an inch, then I have to go a mile. So I'm just not going to go any distance at all. Yeah. Where I think if there were some space, I think it would happen like Chris, where I'd be like an inch. Okay, here's another inch, another. And eventually that mile would happen a lot faster. Mm-hmm. I don't know how you feel about that and Chris's yeah. story. Yeah, I'm, I like it. I think. 
um, if if you are in a place where you can do that, if if you've been in therapy for for a decent amount of time and you're there, then I think the spouse has more skills to be able to do that. And sh- and our questioner may not be here. Right. So I've been, I, been I would in just, for a year and a half at exactly. that time. So. Yeah. And they're, they're in what, 10 months. So that's pretty, that's, that's still pretty new days. So yeah. I would just say, continue to work with your counselor and just continue to do what is good for you and continue to, you know, if you feel continually that something's not right, it, it, it will come out. And the other thing that I wanted to add is that it took my wife probably five years into recovery for her to realize that she couldn't control the outcome. Mm-hmm. She she had to let go of being able to control what I was doing all the time. She had to let go of, uh, of being able to uh, make the past better and forgive me, actually. And she... When she started to to do those things, it changed. Yeah, and um, I think you're you're saying how it's the base. The timeline can be different. Her recovery timeline and his can be different. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm going to read our next question. Um, so my husband's story is so similar to Steve's. It is eerie. So I'm not going to lie. When I read that, I was like, "Is that a good or bad thing?" I'm not. I'm not sure I'd take that, but it's fine. However, he never came clean on his own. He was caught in an affair which had lasted over five years, was excommunicated from our church, was rebaptized, never really kicked the porn. Um, not long before his death, he confessed to having been with prostitutes over the years. I stayed with him through it all, and it was ugly, not just because of his addiction. The woman he was involved with harassed me for another five years. He has been dead almost two years now, and I still have questions. So I just want to stop right there and just, I'm sorry. I I think of the Brene Brown quote where she says, nobody rides for free and not even close to a free ride. So I just want to honor your story and your journey before we get into your questions. Um, why did I get inspired to stay with him when the Lord knew he hadn't come clean? Why Why did he, I'm referring the Lord, meaning why did the Lord want me to stay? Um, why was he, meaning her husband, called over and over into leadership callings in our church? Is anything about my 40-year marriage real or true? How could he watch me and my kids suffer because of his actions and continue on as if nothing ever happened? So I'm going to let Christy answer a bunch of this. I'm I'm going to say a couple things. A couple truths that because he's passed on, he's not going to tell you until the next life, but I can tell you what, what he would say on a couple of these. Um, how could he watch my kids and them suffer and continues if nothing ever happened? That's the fault self he's presenting. I promise you, without a shadow of a doubt, the self-loathing and self-hatred he had for himself and his dual life destroyed him. So you never had the opportunity to see it or to see it come into the light and have reconciliation or healing, but I promise you it was there. 
Um, the other thing I want to say is, is anything about your 40-year marriage real or true? This Everyone thought Kayla stayed with me because just she was naive. She stayed because she knew these parts, God kind of helped her see these parts are true, and then there's all this addict crap. So what I would tell you, the parts of your relationship that felt real, that were good, they were. And he was an addict, and there's all this bad stuff. So it doesn't have to be all or nothing. I feel like that's fair to say because I'm getting a lot of nods from the group. Well, and, um, and the piece, too, is that you, as an addict, you're not always that addict person. Yeah, you know, it's not you, a light switch. You know, yeah, yes. and and so you're always you can change. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, why he was calling the leadership callings in your church, um, and why God wanted you to stay. The only thing I would say is, so I served in a bunch of leadership callings while I was an addict. I think maybe that's why she's like the similarity. And what I would say is, his addiction destroyed his personal relationship with God, and because you had a personal relationship with him, it greatly affected you. But God obviously gave him a lot of talents, and God was still going to use his talents to bless other people. Um, so there's a lot of scriptural examples of guys in the scriptures that and people that were not perfect, but God still used them for his purpose. So even though your husband, in a black and white sense, was probably not worthy of any of the callings that he held— um, God still was going to use him to do those good things. And I think this is a good thing to talk about overall, because like if you sat with your church leader and he gave you some advice and you felt like that was revelation from God, and then you find out he's totally crap, I would say he is totally crap and that's true, and the revelation you got is probably still good and it probably really was God. So that's hard to separate, but I think there's some truth there. That's all I'd say on th- that high level, Christy. Yeah, I I just want to validate what this woman is going through as a wife. When you are ex- when when those lies get exposed, it makes you feel like the whole marriage relationship has been a lie. And what, you know, it, it it can take years. It can take all kinds of time, but eventually you'll come to the realization that what Steve said is true, that there were parts of your marriage that that were the real thing. And I think the Lord, as you stay close to him, will tell you what those things were. And hopefully you'll get some comfort from that. I hope, I hope you do. I want to speak to your questions about why, why I, I'm reading the word why over and over, and I just want to say to you, it is so okay to ask why. I think there's like a trend going on now where we hear a lot like, don't ask why, ask why not. Why why not happen to me? I'm no different from anyone else, but I find over and over and over again in the scriptures from Abraham to the Lord Jesus Christ himself, it is filled with people asking the Lord why. Why are you letting me suffer? Why has this happened to me when all I'm trying to do is follow you? Why won't you rescue me from this situation that I'm in? Why? And those answers may not come for a very long time, but if you stay with the Lord, He will help you realize the ways that he has always been there with you, even though right now you feel like he hasn't been part of your journey or that somehow following him has has led to this disaster in your life. But I promise you that the Lord will, he will reveal to you um, the larger purpose 
in all of this and the ways that you have grown in the fact that he's always been there with you. I believe that wholeheartedly. Yeah, I mean, um, I mean, our hearts are with you. And I think the only thing we can say to add to that is God hasn't forgotten you. He's not punishing you. He loves you, and there is purpose in all of this. For and sure. the one thing that you could do is just invite him into those questions, why? Yeah, like, like Christy yeah. was saying, ha- go on that journey yeah. with him. CT, you want to read the next one? Sure. I'm a young female Christian who struggles with sexual addiction in the form of masturbation. I constantly watch porn when I'm alone and afterwards feel guilty and very depressed because I know that it displeases the Lord. When I was younger, I was slightly exposed to sexual activities by family members who betrayed my trust and never told anyone in fear of destroying my family. Can this be the reason for my addiction? The addiction has been affecting my relationship with God. It has discouraged me from praying as much as I used to because I feel too ashamed to talk to Him. How do I get rid of this addiction without going to therapy or telling parents? Sometimes I feel like one day God will uh, stop forgiving me for acting out my sexual addiction. I keep telling Him that I will try not to do it again, but I keep doing it. Does God still care? Yes, he still cares, and he is never disappointed in you. When you said the, you know, I'm I'm depressed because I know that the Lord is, I've displeased the Lord. The Lord is not disappointed. He's sad because when we do things like pornography, it distances us from him and feeling his love. It numbs us out. He is only sad. He's not mad. He's not looking at me like, oh, oh my gosh, she did it again. How many times do I have sent my Holy Spirit to her to be like, come on? I'm telling you, he is not disappointed. And I would go down that line of questioning with him. God, are you disappointed in me because of my sexual addiction behavior? Do you dislike me? Am I not your daughter anymore? Ask those questions. The other thing I would tell you, and I'm jumping in because I have so much passion about this topic. Um I have a whole bunch of sexual abuse in my family. Um, And what I hear you describing and frankly minimizing is sexual abuse. So does your sexual abuse have anything to do with your sexually acting out behavior? Yes. Capital highlight, underline, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. You are not bad. You haven't done something wrong. As you stated, you've had family members who betrayed your trust And I'm just going to insert the word for you because I think it sounds like you're having a hard time empowering around this, um, abused you. And so any, any crossing the lines of sexual boundaries of family members to younger family members, that's abuse, that's sexual abuse. Um, and so with the abuse, I just want to say it, it likely you've probably read the room correctly. It is not safe for you to tell your family members who have abused you, hey, I think you abused me and we should talk about it. You will get shamed and you'll get pushed into secrecy, I almost guarantee. So you are probably right that that is not safe. But I strongly encourage you and you can ask God to help you find this place where you can find safety. And it may not be at church because you may be 
I'm just going to throw a hypothetical of how the situation could have happened. It may be that you were sexually violated by your father and your father's good friends with your pastor. So you can't go to your pastor and say, my father did this to me, there's a problem. That may not be safe for you, I understand that. But I would find, and I particularly find some other women, and find somewhere where it can be safe for you to disclose that. I'm going to let James talk about the God stuff, but just because that to me is such minimized abuse. And that's what abuse does is it puts the shame on you that it's your fault, that it's, it's your problem. You're the dirty one. You're the wrong one. And that is absolutely not true. You are a thousand percent a victim and it's it's not not your fault. fault. Done. Not your fault. James? I'm just getting emotional reading about it because I I can really relate to these feelings that she's having here. Um, you know, when she says that, I feel like one day God will stop forgiving me for acting out. And I keep telling him that I won't do it again, but I keep doing it. Does God still care? I really relate to this line of thinking. And I know how, first of all, I know the pain that you're in and the despair that you're feeling. But I also want you to know that God does care. God cares more than you imagine. He loves you so much. And he will love you no matter what your behaviors are. God doesn't condition his love based on your behavior. He loves you because you're his child. You're his daughter and you are precious to him. And that's true. And you know, period. One other thing that I I wanted to say is that I've said it before, and I'll say it again as many times as it takes. God doesn't make junk. And I had an experience that I talked about a little bit where I had Christ come to me and say, "I would let you hold that nail on my hand." or on my wrist, as many times as it took for you to be completely forgiven. I would do it all over again in a heartbeat because I love you that much. And I just, I, I am so proud of this this uh, Christian woman for coming forward and asking Young this girl. question. Yeah, I mean, she's yeah. in her youth. So. Yeah, yeah, she's still living at home, it looks like. And, yeah. You know, and, and I... <clears throat> I would say don't let it discourage you from praying. Um, I know that that you feel ashamed to talk to him. And, um, but that shame isn't coming from God. That shame that you're feeling is coming from our adversary who is whispering lies into your, into your heart that you aren't worthy to talk to God, that you somehow or another, that God won't accept you. And he does. Invite him into this and talk to him about it. Talk to him about what you're feeling. Talk to him about the abuse that you've experienced. Talk to him about the shame that you're feeling. Talk to him about, you know, the the porn and the masturbation. And you can express your desires to stop. But every time you talk to him, yeah, you every time that. you talk to him, 
but remember that he will love you even if you don't. Even if you act out the rest of your life, he's totally going to love you. Jason, you got something. I, I do, and it, it's kind of repeating what's already been said, but it, it just needs to be said again and again and again, and that's that, does God still care? I, I'm going to say this unequivocally. God doesn't care about your addiction. He doesn't care that you look at porn. It doesn't matter to him. If he were in front of you and he were looking at you, he would not see that. He would see his child. He doesn't care about any of that. He cares about you. And so I want to make that clear because that is such a shame message that we that we take into ourselves that this is something that distances our, um, our, us from God. Well, the only reason he cares is because he wants to be with you. And so if you let him in, he will be there and he will turn to you in that moment. The, the last thing I want to tell you again to make sure that you get help and get connected, a really good place to go is a school counselor. Um, wherever you go to school, you should have a counselor that's there on staff. I'm not talking about the medical counselor. I'm talking about a mental health counselor. Um, the mental health counselor is what's defined as a mandatory reporter, meaning that they can't blow you off. So if you express that abuse has happened, they are required by law to share that with the police and with family service, whoever it is. So that could be really, or if you can somehow get access to a counselor, you know, maybe you can say to your parents, I struggle with depression. Would you pay for some counseling? And then you can get to that counselor and go, I think I have depression because I think that I was abused sexually. Um, and I encourage you to find everything you can about sexual abuse. I've heard a lot of women describe before that they're like, what you said they're minimizing about it or like, I don't know, I don't think it was that bad. And then they read about sexual abuse and they're like, oh yeah, yep, that's me. That's what happened. The other thing I want to tell you is kind of uh, along the Me Too movement line is you may share your story and be told it doesn't matter or it didn't happen or just don't talk about it. Keep sharing your story until you get through and get help. There will totally be people who will shame you. I understand that that will probably happen in your family. Keeping that courage because you are not wrong. You are totally a victim. We'll be praying for you. Our heart goes out. And, you know, to your question, how do I get rid of this addiction without going to therapy or telling my parents? Um, you don't. Um, you cannot isolate and get rid of addiction. Yeah. Um the adversary wants you to live in that isolation. Yeah. yeah, isolation is is not the answer. But what yeah. she's expressing is my parents are not safe. Right, and if the parents aren't safe, that's fine. And that's why, to your point, you know, even going to the school therapist. Find a counselor or yeah. a group therapy, go to a 12-step. Or you might, you might have some She might safe be too young for all that. Might, might be, yeah. If, if you have some safe people at church, right. a youth yeah. pastor, someone... Um, Maybe that, even a female pastor if you have that in your church or yep, somebody yep. somebody in a position of, of leadership. Yep, yep. Who who you don't feel is uh, more loyal to your parents than to you, yeah. right? Because I could see why, and I've seen that situation before. So, yeah, you're, you're going to need – you can't isolate. I think that's the key. Period, yeah. Because her hope is, can I just take care of this and be fixed because I'm this problem? You're not a problem. You're a victim. God's love is not conditional, and you have to get help outside of yourself. Or you, or you'll continue to act out. And that's not because you're not strong. It's just truth. Yeah. The adversary, like you brought up, Chris. That's why God sent us here in a whole world of people. He wants us to be together and have fellowship with each other. That's where we're strong. Otherwise, yeah. He would have sent us here to Earth alone in Connection. ships. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. You're freaking awesome for submitting this question. Thank and, you. Uh, I'm amazing for what, what you're going to do, Chris. You want to read the next one? Yep. 
My question is a wife of an addict, once an addict. Um, I hope that's okay. The question mark is because I don't know. I hear Steve, I heard Steve and Kayla's story. She talked about Steve being off. My husband has been off since early marriage. I have, I have severe betrayal trauma. There was emotional abuse, financial abuse, gaslighting, etc. I also suspect an affair or affairs. I try to talk with him. He says he uses he used the atonement and he's been healed. He doesn't understand the importance of my healing. He's still off. How can I help him be willing and accountable? So I think we kind of talked about this earlier, but you are going to hear the golden words right out of Christy's mouth right now. How how can how can I help him to be willing and accountable? You cannot. You you cannot do therapy for him or recovery for him. You continue to pursue your own healing and health. The distance then between you and your husband may grow larger and larger to the point where it's no longer livable. Or he may wake up and decide to pursue his own healing and health for his own happiness. One of those two things will probably happen, but above all else, you need to continue your personal journey of health and healing. And she used the word gaslighting, so you you obviously have our questioner, you obviously have some dialogue around this a little bit, you know, using the word betrayal trauma and gaslighting. So I think we just want to validate you. You're not crazy. All the stuff you're feeling, all the stuff you think has happened, CT shaking his head too, Jason shaking his head, like you are right spot freaking on. And, and I think a good illustration of what Christy's saying is it's like we all have to run a marathon to be healthy. And so you're like, how can I help him run that 26 miles? It's like, you can't. They're his feet and he's got to pick them up and move them. But if you start running your marathon, you running and getting in shape, you know, spiritual, emotional shape, right? Is you start running, that will only go good as far as encouraging him to get his own healing. Now, it may not be enough. It may be enough. Something else might wake him up. God is trying to find him. But you you do you, as my wife would say, and um, you start running your marathon, and you can have a successful race. God will help you finish. You can have a happy life what that means for your marriage relationship. And honestly, a lot of the times it works out. You start doing it, you go, and he engages. But trust your gut. If it's off, it's off. You're right on, Jason. I I just, I can't speak for him because maybe he is doing fine. Um, I I don't think so. Maybe he is. But I I just know that this line, he he used the atonement and he's been healed. I know what, nope, I've said that. Four or five times I've said that. I've had almost a year of sobriety in the past. And I thought, I'm good, I'm healed, I'm done. It's not how it works. It's not how addiction works. Basically, by default, it's like when Brene Brown says, the less you talk about it, the more you have of it, referring to shame. When someone uses verbiage like that, I almost know for a fact they are not healed. When I introduce myself in... in, When they're uh, that black and white, that rigid, I'm like, yeah, you haven't done recovery. When I introduce myself in my my 12-step meetings, I, I always say, I'm healing from a sexual addiction um, because I am healing and that's a process. That's present tense. Yeah. Yeah. Anybody that's in recovery I, that I know of doesn't say, yep, I'm done. I'm all healed. That's not how it works. That's well, just... the, the ones that do though, 
end up back into the 12-step yeah. program. So they're like, oh, I get through the 12 it's steps called, and I'm good to go. And hey, sweet, that's good. Well, and, and that's, then that's why I want to make later, the point. That's why I want to make the point. Maybe he's doing okay. That's what we call sobriety. That's not recovery. It's not necessarily right. healed. Yeah. Yeah. No. Nope. Trust your gut. Yes. You are not crazy. You are right on. Be empowered. Go get them. And also, I'm really sorry for the emotional abuse that you've been put through. Yeah. yeah. And the gaslighting and everything. Is, the financial. I, I used to do that terrible. to Autumn all the time. The gaslighting, and it, it was horrible. Yeah. And I even went to, I mean, I apologized to Autumn for that. And then I also went to all those other people that I conveyed Autumn in this horrible way. Is I conveyed it? her that way. And I'm like, you know what? I'm sorry that I conveyed her in this horrible way. Yeah. Yeah, and financially, she brought that one up, too. Yeah. That's bad. It sounds like it's been a mess. Yeah, don't be afraid to create boundaries. Get empowered. You're right. Believe in yourself. Believe in what God's telling you. Christy, you want to read our last question? Sure. And, and I'll be fair about this question. So this last question was actually just emailed to me, and she even said in the email, she said, you know, I don't know that I want you to use this for your whole question and answer thing. And... um I said, okay, but these are really good questions, so please. This is a good And she was super nice. And this she is a was good like, question. She was like, just don't, yeah. Okay, so just Okay, yes, you can use it. Yeah. So props to her courage. I just want to put that. As, yeah. as to all of them. Here is my question. Can a person truly be recovered without a spiritual component? How do I trust his recovery is genuine if there is no God to answer to? My fear is that I am his God and the arbiter of right and wrong in his life right now. What if my version You're getting of, a lot of head nods right now in the studio. What if my version of recovery, which includes God and his definition, don't align? Am I supposed to just trust God and wait and see? Or am I relegated to a marriage where I don't consider my spouse is in recovery because he's ignoring a huge part, even though he considers himself in recovery? So first I want to put an asterisk on this. Generally speaking, if you are not in the Christian realm somewhere, you do not believe that sexual addiction is real. Generally speaking. So broad brush, it's generally Christian people who would say viewing porn consistently on a basis is a bad thing and you shouldn't do that. Outside of that, it's very like whatever. Moral, as long as you're not hurting. Moral compass is all there. So obviously... Our mantra is unashamed and unafraid of coming unto Christ for healing. So I just want to put into context that background. So if you're putting it out to the world, you're going to get two answers. So if you ask people who don't live in the Christian realm, they are, one, not going to acknowledge sexual addiction as thing. It's not technically in the DSM-5. It's not prescribable. It's they're going to go, no, yeah, Porn, masturbation, whatever, compulsive, right? There's compulsive sexual behavior, but they're talking about in that it's diagnosed as real kind of crazy stuff. Um, so there's that. So if you want to answer that, Cap, I can quickly answer your questions. None of this is relevant because God's not a part of it. So there you go. So I think our context for answering this question is going to be in the unashamed, unafraid, and in the Christian realm so I just want to give that context to be fair, because I think we're going to start speaking in a lot of absolute language. <laughs> so I think the absolute language I want to canonize with the fact that, yes, we believe that there is a God and that there is a moral compass out there. Truth is not relative, and there is a right and wrong. Now, what that specifically means for everyone in detail, 
that's different. But the truths we're going to stand on in answering your questions here are there is a God and there is truth. So whoever wants to pick that kind of that first part up. So you um, and I, you and I were discussing this earlier today and I, yeah. I said, one of the things I said was the first part of this question, right? Where she says, can you, can you recover without a spiritual component? And I said, no, just because he's setting himself up for failure to, to me, because for me, I tried doing this on my own. I tried doing this without God for years and years and years. And I can never do anything with that. I can never do it without God. Um, I don't know if he, I mean, he's obviously got some sobriety behind him and, but sobriety and recovery are not the same thing. Right. Oh, and she's asking about the recovery. So piece. does he have some sobriety behind him? Yes, I, I think he does. So I think she's saying that he has some, has some sobriety. Right. My thing is though, if it is if, but let, let's go, let's go wider on the spectrum. Let's say he has a year of sobriety and he's like, I don't need God. I'm I'm working recovery and you well, know. And what what does he consider sobriety? That's where I was going with it because maybe if absence of sexual behavior. Okay, well I'm so I was just saying he might use the atheist approach to say, well, if there is no God, then porn isn't bad, so I'm good. I'm I'm sober. So right. I, yeah, no, I, I mean I think I think the context this question is in. I'm going to make some assumptions. Okay, um, let's just say he has some sobriety for sake of argument um because the context she's putting in it sounds like he kind of feels like hey i'm doing fine why don't you think i'm doing fine it kind of so seems i want to make a further distinction here i think that we talk about uh addiction in terms of like um if i'm recovery i'm uh being healthy right we talk about this in terms of becoming healthy physically, emotionally, spiritually, doing healthy things, living a healthy lifestyle. Can he become healthy? Yes. Can he be healed? I, I don't know about that because I believe that healing comes from the atonement. Healing yep. comes from Christ. So he can live a healthy lifestyle. Maybe he can, quote unquote, overcome his addiction or, or maybe he can just live a lifestyle that he's found other outlets for that that lack of validation, right? But I don't necessarily believe that means he can be healed without the atonement. Yeah, what I love is that, uh, you know, we try to change behaviors. So we go from the outside in, where Christ, I feel he goes from the inside out. He changes our heart first, and then our behavior starts to change. That's a better way to put what I was saying. Thank you. Well, and I I think we've already had a lot of discussion about God, and I'm not trying to like toot our horn or whatever, but listen to all the other, the men's recovery stories we've done, all the dialogue we've had around some of our boot camp posts, our recovery stuff. So there's a ton of dialogue to talk about how God affects you in recovery and how you engage God in recovery. That was the first question on this episode. So there's a lot of dialogue around that. Here's the one thing that I want to say. One good thing I've had in my recovery is a compass to say, I'm going to do the stuff that works and the stuff that doesn't work, I ain't wasting my time. And one way I found to do that, how did I get up to boot camp? I met Chris, who was six years sober, and I'm like, what the hell did that guy do to do that? And he kept talking about this thing he went to and how jazzed he was about it and da-da-da. So whether I cared about that experience or not, what I knew was a guy who's done it did this. So maybe I should try it. And so I'm not trying to be like, we're right, everyone else is wrong. But here's what I want to say. You find me someone who has recovered 
from sexual addiction who doesn't have God, I'd love to meet them because they, they're not out there. So if you find them, send me an email. Love to have that phone call with them, but you won't. I can show you a bunch of men, including Chris, who's sitting right here next to me right now, right? Jason, who's sitting here, men who have substantial sobriety and substantial recovery. I'm not talking a year or two. I'm talking five years, 10 years. Chris's story, Dave's story, uh, several of the other stories we've shared, Mac and Melissa, where the spouse trusts them, the relationships change, and they have true sobriety. They did do it with God. So if I were a guy who was struggling with this and I wanted real change, I'm probably going to follow the people who I've seen do real change. All of them use God. There's kind of a final statement on that. Um, Christy? Can yeah. we give her some hope? Yeah. That's kind of, I was giving it to Chris. Well, just because I, I'm sure her husband's sitting there telling her, um, you know, oh, I don't need God. And I just want to empower her and be like, he's just flat out wrong. Yeah. And I think where Christy's going to go, confronting him directly with that and trying to tell him, hey, you're wrong. This is right. is never going to work. You can't confront it now that way. But I want her to know she's not crazy. And yes, you need to have God. Yeah, yeah. So I want to jump in and answer this second part of this question, which reads, my fear is that I am his God and the arbiter of right and wrong in his life now. That is not a position that you want to be in. I've I've been in that position, I feel like. Is that fair to say, James? Yeah, I'd say that's fair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> where Understatement of the year. <laughs> where I became... I became the the thing that was most important in life and that that's a that is a pressure laden position to be in and it it burdens you beyond measure and and puts you in a really difficult situation. So what do you do with that? I mean I want to say you sit down with your husband and you say look it may be that this is your journey and, and you don't believe in God, and I can hang with you with that. That's that's fine. What I can't be is the replacement for that. So, Ooh, you, well you know, said. You need to find, like it. find yeah. something that speaks to you. Find your own spiritual, and by spiritual I don't mean like God, but find your own value system and follow that. I can't be that for you. So sitting down, the two of you, and kind of having a grown-up conversation about, like, how, what is this going to look like with me being a woman of faith and you you not, but we can still hang together and try to make this work. And then your second question, what if my version of recovery and his definition of recovery don't align? So that, again, I mean, what I would say is that, again, you sit down together and you say, well, okay, this this is what recovery looks like to me. This is what I envision recovery being when I think about it. What does it look like to you? How do you envision it? You know, and, and listen to him. And, and don't just try to preach and say, well, you're wrong. That's, you know, just say, this is how I envision it. How do you? And then try and kind of meet in the middle, or maybe you guys have the right. Maybe both of you do align. Or maybe you're polar opposites, you know, and you've got to... But either way, like, that needs to be figured out, like pronto. God has a full, rich life for you. What you need to do to embrace that, like, a full, rich life. But what that means in actual context, I don't know. 
but she's got to ask these questions, right. right, Christy? Because at the end of the day, there's a difference between compassion and boundaries. Yeah. I have compassion for people who are homeless. I've done work with the homeless. I think a lot of what they go through is mental health challenges and not their fault. However, I do not have homeless people sleep in my house. Yeah. I have boundaries. I care for the homeless, but I'm not going to have that close of a relationship with them. It's the same in your marriage. So I think anything you can find to read on boundary stuff, and um, you guys had a good book you recommended with your story the about boundaries. Yeah, bound, it's called Boundaries in Marriage by Cloud and Townsend. Yeah, so we can attach that here. And and if that eventually leads to, hey, we're so distant, we shouldn't even be in a relationship together anymore. Right. Okay, then it does. But But you need to have boundaries around what you want. You know, I hear a lot of like, you know, do I just have to wait and see? Do I just have to like tolerate be, be all passive, of this? Yeah. The answer is no. no. You don't have to tolerate anything. Absolutely. But you should be kind to others, right? That walking around saying, I'm right, you're wrong, screw you. One, you aren't going to be happy but, and you're not going to help them. But out. I do want to say there are interfaith marriages that ha- they're all over the place and those they work. And and mm-hmm. there is hope. Like you, you can stay married. Mm-hmm. It's, it's going to take a crap ton of work. Along, coming coming the together same with every other marriage, absolutely. Yeah. But and so. and there might be books out there or or groups or I I don't know. I guess I don't I don't have resources for an interfaith marriage. But that might be something that you want to look into. Well, and I think you can also turn back to the fact that whether or not he believes in God, quote unquote, there may still be a spiritual element there to his life, and that's still an important part of his life or needs to be. Maybe it's a higher power, right? Whatever that is to him, regardless of any of that. God still loves him too. Right. And so you can still feel that, that God still loves him as his son, whether or not he believes in God. Yeah. And I think, and like Christy said, I think it's finding some, getting the skills to have some dialogue with him and figuring out what you can work with and what you can't. And that I think will help you clear up about you kind of being his God, you being the compass of right and wrong. I I think what Christy said is, is spot on. Um, yeah, I would just say if there's, you know, that conversation, what that can spark is, you know, what am I willing to tolerate and what am I not? And once you get to the point of, you know, if there's something that you just cannot and will not tolerate, which by the way, it's okay if you don't want to tolerate some stuff, it's okay. Then there you go. You've got your answer of, you know, if, if he's like, yeah, my version of recovery includes, um, regular porn use and once a year prostitution then and if you know this is being super extreme but if that's not going to be tolerable to you then you know you can okay i can get out now mm-hmm. that's the choice i'm going to make god has a happy and full life for you you just have to have the courage to have the boundaries and the conversations to have it um talk about some amazing questions holy cow we could have done a two-hour episode on each one of these individually Um, but we wanted to get back. We're sorry for those that it took us a minute to get back to you. Um, I want to again commend you for your courage to ask these questions. There are others who have this exact same question and you've blessed their life and and helped them 
answer their question, help them gain some more courage. Um, we'll put all these resources that have been mentioned throughout this post on the blog post with this episode. Um, if we totally missed the boat on part of your question, please totally email us back and be like, and this part of my question, um, or if follow-up questions come from this, email us too. If you're out there and you have questions or a recovery story, send us an email. We would love to hear from you. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Unashamed Unafraid. And until the next time we meet, stay unashamed. Stay unashamed.